Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall. The place hits it at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. Welcome back. This is Talking Out Loud, still the number one program for Dayton Flyers basketball on the internet. Flyers take a tough one yesterday, uh, recording here Sunday morning, February 27th, and the Flyers fresh off of their latest bed shitter in Philadelphia. The Flyers go down to LaSalle, final 62-60, and there's plenty of stuff that we could dissect into this game, but uh, first and foremost, it's just a day where, where Dayton doesn't get it done. Um, Deron Holmes and Mally Smith, they carry the load, uh, but the, there was just no contribution from the rest of the team. Um, Dayton was sorely hurt uh, by the fact that Tamani Kamara was out. Still not entirely sure what was going on there. We should have more information this coming week on what's ailing him and how quickly he'll be back into the lineup. Um, but you saw, I mean, they really missed Kamara, and and frankly, they needed the depth of Weaver to eat up about 10 minutes a night. They had neither, and so they went with an eight-man lineup, which included five minutes for Sissoko and 25 minutes for Zimmy. Uh, in Zimmy's 25 minutes, he chipped in two points, and they were from the free throw line, no assists, no rebounds, no blocks, no steals, no fouls. Um, it's pretty impressive to contribute uh 25 minutes and and have you know so little showing up on your score line um but from there kobe elvis was cold one for three from two zero for three from the three-point line dayton had a 15-point lead 36 21 in the first half and then let LaSalle back into the game couldn't score in the second half had no continuity on offense and and frankly i i look at games like this and and i think we've talked about it here on the program a few times as the season's gone on is that you can't talk about how much talent there is on this team and how this team's coming together and look how the talent's all manifesting itself into a great team and then simultaneously hand wave games like this and say the Grant's doing a great job with the season. You know, these parts of game these games are part of the season and you know, I have a really hard time putting a lot of the blame on the players because it just didn't seem like the game plan um, prepared them to win this one. And, um, you know, you, you got to put, of course, some blame on the guys that are on the court um, You know, with a 15-point lead. Clearly something was working in the first half, but um, I think down the stretch when things started to crumble, there was just no adjustments made that were tangible by the coaching staff with the lineup that they had. You know, you can't really make excuses for – for what went down on the floor, um, it's it's right there in black and white. Um, you know, Malachi Smith only tallied eight minutes in the game. Um, he had nine points, four for ten shooting from two point range. Um, I can't quite figure out, you know, what's ailing him from the two point uh, inside the arc, rather. Um, and I think a lot of it is due to the fact that he can't shoot the long ball consistently, so he gets a lot of guys that sag off of him which, again, leads to uh, defenders being able to cover the paint when he goes to drive a little bit more effectively. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's just a day-to-day -day where um, I, I'm just not really ready for the excuses. I don't want to hear the excuses. Dayton had everything in front of them to make their case for the at-large berth, even despite the way that they started the season. And, frankly, we find ourselves right back in the position that Dayton was in a month ago, no at-large bid, playing for that top four. And we probably will get into a situation here where uh, Dayton could you know, split the games this week or even lose both and still end up in that top four. So the goal that we set out to start the conference season with those three losses in mind is still right there for the taking. But it, it was a sour loss. It was a disappointment. Um, you know, I still 
in games like this have to go back to to the coaching staff just not making the necessary in-game adjustments to get out of there unscathed. You know, we're not talking about winning against Richmond. We're not talking about winning a tough fight against VCU. We're talking about beating LaSalle, a program that was 2-13 and in the A-10 going in. And, you know, Dayton's inability to win these games over the years is what's held them back and, you know, just manifested itself into to mediocrity. And, um, and we're not going to be having an at-large bid because of it. So don't want to belabor the game too much. Um, it is what it is. 62-60 final. Um, Deron Holmes, again, was spectacular. He had 18 and 12. Um, you know, even Mally Smith on the, the limited minutes that he had chipped in nine points and nine assists. Every single night, those guys are carrying the load and doing everything that they can to get us across to the finish line. And unfortunately, it just wasn't enough with the short bench and the contributions that we got from the rest of the lineup. So so for me, I, I'm going to chalk that up to the, the coaching staff just not having this particular lineup prepared. But, um, you know, there's certainly an argument to be made on the other side that, you know, with Weaver, with Kamara, the Flyers probably figure out a way to win this game. But them's the breaks, and that's why you play 31 of them. So I'll quickly digress into the meat and bones of the episode leading into uh, a short turnaround. Flyers have to go to Richmond for an early 6.30 p.m. tip on Tuesday evening. Uh, but I got a special guest from Sporting News. I botched the intro you'll see coming up here. Uh, but it's uh, Mike DeCourcy. You see him on the Big Ten Network. Uh, he has college basketball and Fox brackets every Tuesday and Friday. Wanted to get his perspective on everything. Um, I had this on the calendar thinking Dayton was going to pull out a win this weekend, and unfortunately they did not, but when it's on the calendar, you got you got to record that anyway. So it was great to have him on, great to get his perspective, and um, yeah, let's, uh, let's not take any more time up. <coughs> Before I uh, do get you over there, I want to let you, let you know and remind you that today's program and all subsequent programs are brought to you by the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. If you are looking for a home in southwestern Ohio, look no further than the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. They are realtors you can rely on. All right, quick break, and then we'll get to the interview with Mike DeCourcy coming right up. Welcome back in to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast for all Dayton Flyers out there. Regardless of the results on the court, we're still going to be coming to you with the number one show. Uh, I'm back here, have a special guest that I had lined up before Dayton took the L to LaSalle on Saturday afternoon because I thought to myself, man, a lot of bracketologists out there right now. There's a lot of opinion floating around in the college basketball ethos. And it seemed to me that a couple of writers, um, you know, specifically my next guest, were bullish on the Flyers at large hopes getting into the tournament. Now, this was all before uh, said game on Saturday and the L the Flyers took to the Explorers. But nonetheless, it was on the calendar and I kind of wanted to pick his brain a little bit. So it's bracketology time. It marches upon us. And uh, so I have Mike DeCourcy, uh, formerly of TSN, now on the Big Ten Network, and uh, he does dabble in bracketology from time to time joining the program. Mike D, great to have you on as a, a first-time guest. Yeah, I, I'm not formerly of sporting news. Uh, I'm That's my full-time job. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So I saw this the, the TSN, and I didn't know if that was still the the you know where you were, but I knew you're on Big Ten Network. So yeah, yes, I, I I I have three gigs uh, uh, around you know at this time of year. Actually, four if you count my appearance on uh, Fox Sports inside the Big East each week during college mm-hmm. basketball season. So a lot of balls in the air. Uh, they're all basketballs, and uh, <laughs> at least at this time of year. And, uh, and so, um, the bracket this is my third year doing uh, the brackets, you know, I, I, I always, I, I never use the term bracketology. Uh, it, we don't brand it that way at Fox. Uh, they decided mm-hmm. not to do that. And, and then you know, myself, I, like, I know Joe really well. Um, uh, Joe, Joe and I go back nearly 40 years and, and, and I, I, first met him when he was doing some stringing for us when I worked at the Pittsburgh press and they didn't want to send a writer to, to, to do a Philly game. Joe would do those for us from time to time. And then I met him when I was covering Duquesne. Sure. And, uh, and then in the mid nineties, 
Joe basically invented bracketology for this reason. We were doing, he, he was the owner. He had, he and Chris Dorch and another person, I think, uh, but Chris and, and, and Joe were the most active participants. They had bought Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook from, from, from Chris Wallace, who's now in the NBA, uh, went to the Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, Memphis Grizzlies. He's been a big time executive in the NBA because he's such a genius in basketball. He had started Blue Ribbon. So those guys bought it from him and they were putting it out every year and I wrote for them. And one year they decided to do a tournament guide. Like literally something that they would you would have in your hands before the tournament started, a, a complete breakdown on every I think back then I think it was 65 teams. And yep. so in order to know which teams they had to have articles published about, uh, Joe kind of started to study the science of how the teams got in. And that's how he invented bracketology. So he and I go all the way back. So I don't consider myself necessarily, uh, I consider myself a bracket analyst. That's the term I use. There you go. Uh, okay. Because I, I, Joe invented bracketology, even though he didn't trademark it uh, and he should have. Um, yeah. It's kind of his word. So I, I go by bracket analyst. I think that works. And, uh, and I've been doing it. This is my third season doing it for Fox. The first year we didn't have a tournament, obviously, but we had a full year worth of brackets. And Like, all right, so Mike, I'm, do the bracket, and then the tournament gets canceled. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It was all my fault, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, you brought up a really good point, um, and I, I never even considered that because the term bracketology has become so widely used and widely accepted that – it's kind of the process of figuring out, you know, who's going to get into the tournament. And I, I guess I kind of took it for granted that it, it is kind of a moniker that was, you know, invented by Lenardi and then kind of propagated up and branded by um, ESPN. And you're right. I, I was sitting here today, you know, just kind of, you know, flowing through the intro. And I guess I never considered the fact that it is kind of a branded Joe Lenardi type of thing, even though he has sparked like this culture where um, I'm sure you've seen before, there's an entire website, uh, Bracket Matrix, that has yes. all of the guys that do these things. And it kind of it, it provides a baseline aggregate of and it's usually pretty accurate because, you know, it's it's kind of the old uh, meeting of the minds theory. Right. Um, law of averages. If you get right. 100 people in a room, maybe that some of them are dumb, maybe some of them are smart but the average of that response is typically going to be pretty close to the truth. And it seems that the, the bracket science has kind of become that way, right? There's so many hands in the jar. There's so many opinions flying around that if you aggregate them all, the truth is probably right there in the middle nine times out of 10, right? Yeah. I think the thing about the matrix is a lot of the brackets that are posted on there are very analytics based. So yeah. when you, when you look earlier in the year that you get a you get a different picture of what it might be i mean there have been many times when uh like i had i did not have michigan as an at large team until mm -hmm. they uh, till their most recent victory until they defeated rutgers at home i did not have them at any point in the year because i like i don't care what the like if the metrics say yeah, they should be in because they're 35th in the net or whatever they are in Ken Palm, that sort of thing. Like, that's not, like, I'm not doing that. I mean, yeah. because eventually, maybe the metrics point to you're going, eventually the metrics say, you keep doing this, you're eventually going to win the games you need to win to get in. I'm fine, you know, like, but I'm not, until you win those games, I'm not putting you in. Yeah. And they hadn't. And the Rutgers game was very big in that. In, 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 and now they still have several home games in a row, all against high-level teams. And if they win those, and they'll probably be favored to win most, even though they're very high-level opponents, then they'll get in. But that's so – so I think the closer you get to the end of the year, the end of the season, the more value is in what the matrix has to tell, matrix has to tell you. Uh, because then you get that, okay, if, the peop if there are certain brackets that are still completely metrics-based – that they, they they'll eventually get shouted down, so to speak, if that team doesn't play to its metrics. Uh, I, I, Michigan was a good example of a team that got in. 
I think Oklahoma, for instance, was a team that I dropped out maybe earlier than some others because they were hanging on to the metrics. But I just don't think that you can put a like a one game over 500 team into the tournament. That now that's never happened. So it, even last year, when a lot of teams played fewer games, so I I I, I rely very heavily on accomplishment to get in. Uh, and I think that in terms of seeding, that's when you start to really look at uh, the the you know the the predictive metrics. Uh, that's those. That's when I think those come really into play. And I think you could see that in the committee's bracket reveal uh, that happened a week ago, uh, eight mm-hmm. days ago, that you could tell, like when they put Tennessee on the three line, uh, they, they clearly were, were favoring metrics, oh, the, the, the predictive metrics over the achievement metrics, like strength of record or KPI. Uh, they, 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 the, the committee expressed a clear preference in seeding for that. You can't really tell what they'll do with selection, whether they'll choose more what you've accomplished or what your predictive metrics are. But the, the philosophy of the committee has generally been, uh, and, and they've been encouraged to do this by even by the people who run the predictive metrics. I mean, Ken Palm told the committee, I was sitting right there at that point, uh, it wasn't the full committee. It was the, whoever was the chair that year, five or six years ago. Uh, but he yeah. told the NCAA structure and the committee chair, do not, you know, you should not choose teams based on my metrics. That's not what it's for. Um, but sure. it does, it, it would be wise to consider using his or Jeff Sagarin's or who's or BPI or whoever you prefer. Um, it, it would be wise to consider doing that relative to seeding because you don't want the number one seed to face, say a number eight seed that has tremendous performance metrics, uh, predictive metrics, and just hasn't played to it, but made decide on that particular Friday to play to it. Yeah. Yeah. And where do you land on, you mentioned like the curious case of Oklahoma and um, Dayton, you know, still kind of has one of the more bizarre resumes I've ever seen. Certainly, definitely the most bizarre resume Dayton's ever had. Um, but let's, let's take a, a team like Oklahoma, right? They're right around that net cutoff. They're 48 records, 15 and 14, but they're three and 11 in the quadrant run one. I mean, what do you do with those teams? Because I am of the opinion, and I have been pretty public about this, if you can't go 500 in your league, you shouldn't get in the tournament. And I know there's a bunch of ways to slice that. Not all the schedules are created equal, you know, especially in the Big 12, right? Like you could, I mean, the Big 12 has been pretty strong this year. So maybe the Big 10 is a better example. Like if you play Nebraska twice, that's going to be a little bit easier of a path than if you play Iowa twice, whatever. But the reason the the notion stands, if you can't at least go 500 in your own league, like I just don't think you, you should get a ticket. And right now, Oklahoma is that perfect case because they're three and 11 in the quadrant one. They're five and 11 in the big 12. And there they are, 44 in Ken Palm, 48 in the net. I mean, they're right there where they have to be considered to get in the field. Where does your conventional wisdom land when, when you see teams like that? I know you, you mentioned the preference for the eye test, but that has to matter at some point, or else why are we playing the regular season? Well, first of all, I did not mention a preference for the eye test because I don't believe the in the eye test at all. I, well, results never... on the court, sorry, is what yes, I... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, results on the court. Clear, clear results on the court. That's what it's all about for me. Um, I, will, I will say, in 1988, maybe, uh, I think it was, eight, yeah, right around there, um, I was covering Duquesne in the Atlantic 10, and the Atlantic 10 was a very good league then, as it is now as well, but it was really, it you was know... way it, better back then, yeah. Uh, it was, it was tr- you know, West Virginia was really good in those days. Rhode Island had Tom Garrick. Um, it was uh, St. Joe's, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, St. Joe's at that point was, was, wasn't was at their yeah. best, but they had some really good players. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who else was was. Terrific it was right the before league. the UMass dynasty, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, of course. Yeah. John was brand new in the league. Uh, he used to stand by the. When I, I I sat on the very end of this press table at uh, Duquesne, and he would come over and talk to me during the game and say, "Can you believe what we're doing out there?" <laughs> uh, it, that was before things got really serious and intense. 
Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. so I wrote that I thought that a team should have to have a 500 record to get in. And I, I think that I might have been the first one ever to write that. I don't know for sure, but I never saw it from anybody else. Of course, we didn't have access to everybody else's writing. Opinion. Then. But I, I, I might have been the first to write it. And I kick myself all the time now because, uh, and, and like I said, the Atlantic 10 was really good. But the next year or the year, in 1989-90 was my first year covering the Big East and Pitt. And I went through that year and I was like, oh, that was a really dumb thing to say. Because this league is much harder than than the Atlantic 10, even though I had tremendous respect for the Atlantic 10. This league was sure. much better and much harder. And so I came to realize the folly of that position. It, 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 all leagues are not created equal. Yep. Even all power leagues are not created equal. I mean, for, for instance, your, you know, if you stand at that line this year, you're ruling out uh, so, you know, some like somebody like in the Big Ten. Let's say uh, at this point, you're looking at a Big Ten uh, standings that would rule out. Uh, let's say Indiana's Indiana is on that bottom okay. line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Indiana's there, but in the ACC, which is having a dreadful year, especially relative to their history, one of the great basketball leagues ever. I mean, Syracuse would make it. They're yeah. eight, they're nine and nine and fifteen and fourteen, and they are not good. Yeah, they, I mean that is not a good basketball team. And even Jim Beheim sat stood up there yesterday uh, when he got asked if he was uh, going to to uh, to to retire. Uh, he said, you, "You you want me to retire just because I'm having a bad year?" I mean, so even he knows it's not a good year. So that's why you can't draw that line there. Now Oklahoma is way below that line and only a game over 500. And remember this, they have gone to 16 and 14 or, or 17 and 15 uh, for, for teams that were really impressive with incredibly difficult schedules and yet really solid performance against that schedule. They have done that on, I think, at least three occasions. Uh, they, they did it in, I think it was 91 for Villanova. That was the first time. Uh, and that Villanova team uh, went was in one of the, probably the deepest league in the history of college basketball. Uh, this this Big Twelve is challenging it to an extent uh, because they have no bad teams at all. That Big East at that point had nine teams, and Boston College was awful, and everybody else should have been in the tournament, and seven of them made it. Um, this year, this Big Twelve is challenging that. Uh, so Oklahoma has you know, has that to deal with. Uh, but they also have losses to Butler, which is a lower level Big East team. Um, you know, they lost to Utah State, which is in, in a Mountain West uh, that is very good. Utah State's not one of the better teams there. So uh, they they have lost losses that you can't explain. And then, you know, just basically when they take the turn the floor against the tournament team, they're far more likely to lose than win. I mean, they've, they've yeah. lost – nearly every game they've played against a team at that level. Uh, so what suggests they're a tournament team? I, I I don't think that you can do that with this particular team unless they were to go on from here and and win just about every game on the rest of their schedule. I mean, if they, if they were to win out at the end by beating West Virginia and Kansas State, don't prove much, but they improve their record uh, substantially. And then they would have to go into the Big 12 tournament and win at least two games. And then maybe you're looking at a team that could find find its way back into the field. Yep. And and that's kind of the decisions that we have to make this year, right? Is like, I, I'm, I think that I'm with you on that. I always use stats and the metrics as a baseline to make my opinion more informed I don't use it to inform my opinion, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yes. And Gary Parrish kind of said the same thing on I in college basketball. I think it was about two weeks ago where he said, I just care what you've done, you know, and, you know, who have you beat this past week? All right. You move up. Did you lose? You move down. Um, you know, I think a lot of people try to trip over themselves to say, well, they're a top 50 team, you know, they have to be in the field. And it's like, well, not, not necessarily. And here we are again, like Dayton kind of falls into that exact thing that we're talking about where they yesterday with the loss, 
the Flyers slipped from 47 back to 55 in the net. They're still a top 50 team in Ken Palm, um, but they just don't have the resume anymore that's going to get them into the tournament, um, which you know kind of brings me to the question that and I wanted to ask it <clears throat> again before the loss was you, you had you're probably one of the only people that had Dayton in that last four in um, up until yesterday. And, you know, what was attractive to Dayton's resume? You know, what was kind of moving the needle for you to to kind of push them a little bit further in? Because um, I think as a Dayton fan, I, I think it's it's hard for me to be objective. I try really, really hard to be objective. Um, and I think, you know, my, my show kind of reflects it. But for me, I was kind of sitting here saying, I just don't see how Dayton could overcome the three bad losses they had to start the year. And now definitely not because they just took a loss to LaSalle, even though they have Richmond Davidson coming up. So, you know, the question for you, Mike, was what was attractive about Dayton's resume where you're like, you know, maybe they could find themselves playing into the tournament? Well, I think when Rutgers started to make their move and and they started to be it started to be impossible to keep them out. Uh, you you looked at you had to dismiss the awful losses that they took. And yep. or at least at least mitigate them. I mean, you, you had to say, OK, as bad as those were and they were. You had to look at it and say, yeah, but look at what the, look at what's over here. And I, I looked at Dayton in the same way, although with a lesser degree of accomplishment. I mean, I don't think that Dayton, even at for me, uh, last four in, I don't think they were going to rise off of last four in even if they'd been able to strengthen their resume with the Richmond and Davidson wins, I think those were yeah. going to be essential to get them in as an at large, but I still think they probably, even with that, it, that, that anchor would have been there, but they, I, I believe that, that if they won those games, they would have stayed in the field for me. Yeah. Uh, they obviously now it's an impossible task to put them in the field uh, unless they, unless they were to, win the a10 championship obviously sure um you can't put a team with four bad losses in the field unless there's an overwhelming circumstance to to mitigate that and what was attractive to them it started obviously with the kansas win i mean very few people have that there was no advantage to the flyers in that game in the sense of it being a home game or anything like that and it was a neutral floor and if that had been an isolated incident I think that that wouldn't have been nearly enough. I mean, there are other teams out there that have good one good win that aren't mm-hmm. going to get in. Um, but then you add in the fact that uh, they beat Miami, which had been in my has been in my bracket. I haven't had to reassess subsequent to their most recent loss, but they are they are damaging their case fairly uh, fairly uh, at a fairly rapid p- pace <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. Yep, uh, Belmont was a meaningful win to me. It, at one point, it was probably a quad one, and it probably was a quad one at the time that I put them in. Yeah, well, so it was until like last week, I think. Yeah, yeah. So <clears> that I think that was an influence. Uh, and then you look at their competition against the other good teams in the league. Um, you, you know, VCU was was a you know a nice road win, and it was pretty overwhelming as well. And it and that you know that mattered. Uh, you look at uh, the St. Louis win was certainly helpful. Uh, Bonnie's, uh, you know, that, that's, there was enough there to make the case, right? Yeah, yeah, they absolutely. And I I think when, when you do that, uh, when you do that, you also look at, okay, do they have the opportunity to affirm this? Um, I I think if the schedule down the stretch had said, okay, the Flyers play Duquesne, LaSalle, Duquesne, uh, um, let me think of who else, uh, UMass, you know, if those had been the, fi- the, the final stretch of games, would I have stuck my neck out there for them at that point? Maybe, maybe not. But you look nice. at the schedule and you say, okay, they're going to tell us in the next couple of weeks whether they're a tournament team. And <laughs> I think they I think they have a, a case for it now uh, So I and, and a better case than the other teams. So I included them. And yeah. they they eventually they would either affirm that or reject that. And unfortunately for Flyers fans, 
they didn't get they, they didn't rejected get to the it. big games to to get that chance. Yeah, they rejected it. All right. Um, one quick question that I have for you, Mike. Maybe you have intel on this. Maybe you don't. But about uh, five six years ago, um, this was on the heels of the 2015 season. Dayton, of course, got put in the first four. <clears throat> Raucous environment. One of the best nights ever at the arena, and I really mean that ever. You know, in the 50 years the arena's been around. Right after that, um, there was obviously, you know, <clears throat> deafening moans for it to never happen again. Rightfully so. I don't think it's fair to put Dayton in a home game in the first four. But Dayton also shouldn't be held out of the tournament or penalized because we host the first four. So right afterwards, I remember the committee came out and they said, you know, we're going to avoid putting Dayton in the first four moving forward. Now, the committee is all on a five-year term, which I found out when I started doing some digging. So it stands to reason that most of the people are no longer on the committee. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, Joe Lenardi was, or maybe last week, Joe Lenardi said, <clears throat> I could see the Flyers getting into the first four. So I, my question was, have you heard that from people where they're like, I want to avoid putting Dayton in that first four game because it does feel, <clears throat> it does feel like it's, it's kind of an unfair advantage, but I wouldn't want to see Dayton get penalized because we host those games was kind of curious if you heard any rumblings about that or committee trying to stay away from something like that. It's funny because it only applies to us, but I was just under the impression it was never going to happen again. And then we got kind of close to the at-large line and all of a sudden the discussion popped back up, right? Yeah, I, I had, I had, you know, I've heard people complain about it and I've heard lots of people say, why is it always there? And I'm like, well, you've never been to the to UD. You got to go. The first yeah, there, game there's a reason it's there. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's obvious why it's there because Dayton is one of the best college basketball cities in America. And because they embraced this event from the moment it was introduced, there was no, you know, what is this thing? Or, you know, is that worth my time? Or, you know, I think we did it once. Let's, let's not go anymore. Whatever. I mean, whatever you want to put up as a reasoning for it, it has been a spectacular success for the NCAA and it has been because of Dayton. Well, and, and so, even before it was the first four, right? Like I remember when I was in school, um, not to cut you off real quick, but in 2010, I went to Alabama A&M and Moorhead State and there was right. 12,000 people at the game. Where else are you going to yes. get that? Yes, exactly. Exactly. When when it was just the, uh, the quote, play-in game, when they could still call it that. They hated that name, but the opening round, they you know, uh, all and all of that. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's been it's been a tremendous success for the NCAA. And like I said, even more so since they went to the first four concept, uh, it's been it's been wonderful. And so anytime I hear people talk about moving it, I'm like, you you just don't know. You don't I mean, get it. Yeah. And, and you don't. And, and your opinion is is poorly informed. And <laughs> when I hear that, I, I mean, I, I, these are ba basketball people often, and they their, their opinions about basketball are legitimate, but their opinions about this event are not. Yeah. And so I, I you know, the, the, the idea of the Flyers being in that game, it's happened once. Uh, it's going to be a rare occasion. I, I don't know how many teams, honestly, I've never done the research on this, but I don't know how many teams in the at-large component of the first four have made a reappearance in my, you know, off the top uh, of my head. I don't think anybody ever has. Maybe UCLA, this was the second time this past year. Maybe. I mean, it's only been yeah, around for what, like seven or eight years. So but no, it's been since 2011. So we've had, is that right? Well, we, so we've had at least 10 of them and uh, UCLA might have been in it. Uh, you're right that that's a possibility that they that they've repeated um i so i but it's very I have to go rare. and crunch the numbers there it's a, yeah and that, it is a very numbers. rare circumstance that that would be the case so uh so i don't think it's worth really something to be angsty about i know it was a disadvantage for uh for dayton's opponent in 2015 and i know there was a lot of griping as well that they wound up playing in columbus because i was there uh, in Columbus for for their game, uh, for their next game, and you know, and I and I heard the griping then. Oh yeah, um, there was griping. <laughs> yes, there was uh, no question. But yeah. you know, I think in the end, it, it, you know, UConn got to the Garden in 2014, uh, which is like an hour away from. Well, it's less than an hour away from certain places in their state, and 
no more than an hour and a half away from most. Uh, yep. And they got to the Garden because they were a seven seed in the East, uh, and they won a couple of games, and they get they get to the Sweet Sixteen and win another, and then they play Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Why did they get to be so close to home? Like, what are you going to do? Play these games on Mars? At, at, a, <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, somebody's going to end up close to home. Now, yeah. where I have a significant problem with this concept is the idea that Villanova can play three home games at the Wells Fargo arena and still play there in the, in the round of 16, yeah. uh, in the, in the East regional, uh, that's wrong. That, that should not be allowed. If you schedule any home games on a floor, that should be forbidden for you to play in that regional. It's yeah. your home. You have declared it as your home and the, and the committee uh, you know, has rules against home floors, but they set it at three games. Look, if you happen to wander onto a floor for three games, like if they, it, like if you play the Big East tournament in in a year, uh, uh, you know, where when the Garden is one of the uh, first first uh, first round regional sites, you know, that's not your like if you're you know uh, uh, if you're Butler, you know that ain't that's not your home floor, but sure. you happen to play three games there because you had a nice run. That's different than. St. John's playing there. That's one of their home floors. That should never be allowed. If you declare a place as your home floor, then it should be it should be forbidden to you. Three oh, you played three games there. Only three games. No, it's your home. Yeah, I, I, that's not good enough. I, I that, I've complained about that for years. Uh, Villanova usually is the 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 one beneficiary of this particular quirk in the rules. I don't know why they allow it. Yeah, it's not like St. John's going to be making a run to MSG for uh, around 16 <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> I was crunching the numbers while you uh, while you're explaining that, Mike. And um, I knew that there was teams that had played in the first four a couple of times. But off the top, there is actually three teams, um, high major teams that have played twice. Um, USC, Arizona State. And the aforementioned UCLA, who uh, who played in seventeen, and then this past year. So go figure. Very interesting that they're all from the Pac twelve. There, there's a statement to be made. There. I don't know. <laughs> that does tell me something about the Pac twelve. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not going to draw that conclusion today. Um, but yeah, I, doing some quick searching, um, I found out that uh, that was indeed the, the case. Um, so uh, after yesterday, it was it was crazy day, obviously, in college basketball for Dayton fans that maybe weren't as tuned in. Um, it was a wild one. Michigan State took down Purdue. Um, Texas and West Virginia were in a close when Texas pulled that out. Then Arkansas beat Kentucky. Um, Tennessee went and beat Auburn. Missouri State got a scare from Southeast Missouri State, which was which was a, a tight game. Colorado beat Arizona. Um, if you stayed up late, um, which some of you don't TCU beat Texas tech and then Baylor ended up beating Kansas. I mean, um, Oh, sorry. And then the game last game of the night that, uh, that I saw as well was at number one, Gonzaga went down to St. Mary's. So, uh, probably the wildest day in the college basketball season, um, to date this year. And, um, so I'm sure that your bracket did a lot of shifting, uh, last evening, Mike. So, uh, what ended up happening? What are the last eight teams you have in the tournament now? Well, I will say that I I am assigned to produce at, until we get to tournament week. I'm assigned to produce two brackets a week. Uh, Tuesdays they come out on uh, CBB on Fox at CBB excuse me at CBB on Fox on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. And they they post Tuesday afternoon and Friday afternoon. So I don't have to consider what happened last night until Tuesday. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know because there was so much tumult, I don't know that it will change it that much. It's certainly yesterday as we've discussed, unfortunately for the flyers, it, that changed my last four in that, that I can't consider the flyers any longer for an at large, uh, based on, on that result. Um, but uh, at the front of the line, I believe Baylor will ascend to the one line ahead of Kansas. I think the re- the other three, Arizona, Auburn, and uh, and Gonzaga, will stay intact. I may reshuffle the order of that line, but I'm not sure that I will. Uh, it's hard to say. 
because they all took losses. I think Kentucky missed an opportunity yesterday to, to, to become a one. They would have been a one if they had been able to win at Arkansas. It was, it's a difficult task to, to get that win, especially with uh, the, both of their starting guards coming off of injuries. They hadn't played in a couple of games, and I think that impacted them. It was also not an easy day to get a whistle for the Wildcats. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, 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 and with all that said, uh, Arkansas did a brilliant job. Uh, Eric Musselman's a tremendous coach, terrific, terrific basketball mind. But he did a tremendous job of, of punishing what, what Kentucky does not do well, which is guard ball screens. And they had the perfect players to do it uh, in J.D. Note and Jalen Williams. And they just really hurt uh, Kentucky's ball screen defense uh, with the ability of, of Note to, to get moving off of a screen and with Williams' uh, quickness, his ability to flash, and also his ball handling skill. Uh, all that combined, Kentucky couldn't contend with it. And – and that you know that ended up getting them beat, and and they missed their window to get to the one line. And I don't know whether it reopens or not. I suppose if they tear down the stretch here, they don't get another opportunity for for big wins. They at Florida is a it'll probably be a quad one, but we all know what it means. You're beating a, a likely non-tournament team. That's not going to change your station much. They would need more cooperation from the other current ones to have a chance to climb back up there. Yep, yep. Um, last question I have for you, Mike, and this is something that happens in A-10 land pretty much every year at this point, and especially over the last four years where bids have been significantly declining and the opportunities for the conference to get those bids has been declining. But frankly, we saw it yesterday. Um, Dayton was walking the tightrope. They needed some good wins. They were going to be present going to Richmond and Davidson this week now this coming week doesn't really matter as much for Flyer fans. Um, if they split the games, they get into the top four. That's kind of where we need to be anyways. And even if they lose both, they can probably still end up in the top four anyways. But the point I was getting to is that every year we start coming down the stretch and teams like Davidson, teams like Dayton, St. Louis, Bonaventure, we need good wins to get into the tournament and instead, you got to play this year. I'll just talk who is at the bottom of the standings. You got to go play Duquesne. You got to play UMass. You got to play LaSalle. Um, usually Fordham's down at the bottom of the conference this year, not as far down the bottom of the conference. But it gets harder and harder for the Atlantic 10 Conference to get good resumes and then to solidify those resumes because we have all these teams at the bottom of the league that are very bad and you lose one game to them blow up the resume. And I, I say all the time to, to those around the conference and those that I've spoken to is that I know that the Atlantic 10 is not going to get really aggressive and push LaSalle out or push Fordham out. But I just feel like the conference just has to have a more realistic conversation about its entire landscape because in comes Loyola uh, next year. And the same thing's probably going to happen to them. They're going to be coming down the stretch. They're going to have to go to LaSalle and play in the pool hall, or they're going to have to go to Duquesne and play in front of 500 people at the new Cooper Fieldhouse, which is it's a crime that they're playing such bad basketball because that building is gorgeous. But you, you see my point. It's like they're not doing themselves any favors. And again, it happened this year where Dayton walking the tightrope. They have to go play at LaSalle. They lose to LaSalle in, in just an ugly, ugly game. So I don't know if there's like a fix to that, but I wanted, you know, kind of your perspective on that is that our conference seems to kind of be in a position now where we're shooting ourselves in the foot every year and they don't have the strength that we once did, let's say in the early 2000s where Dayton was good every couple of years, Xavier was good every single year, Temple, St. Joe's, every single year they were good. There was rock fights going on in the conference once or twice a week. Now it's like you have to avoid all the landmines and hope that you maybe get a big win against a, you know, VCU or Dayton, right? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's tough. Uh but but I, I think it's hard to make the statement that we have you know that it, we you know we as the Atlantic Ten have too many you know bad teams when you haven't stopped expanding. I mean, yeah, true. You know how do you how do you make that case when the first thing you do in this predicament is hey let's go get somebody else. I'm like Loyola is a great program and they got a great building and this is like everybody who uh, as you well know everybody who makes the visit here is kind of like 
be like, yeah, we get to go to Chicago. I mean, yeah. even in the winter, it's still awesome. It, obviously, in the summer, it's it, one of the best cities in the world. But in the winter, it's still awesome. It's still Chicago. The restaurants you can go to on the night before your game and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, but you have you ha- it's it's one more you know, mouth to feed, so to speak, with uh, with a declining number of NCAA tournament bids. Oh, yeah. It no, really I've been in favor of contraction. Just just put it on the record. I'm a big favor of contraction. I wish Lee would go down to like 12 teams. Yeah, I don't know that you can pull teams, push teams out. No. Um, I have said in the past, and and, and Keith Dambrot's experience, uh, you know, I, I covered Duquesne for, uh, for two seasons on the beat uh, every game. Um, and and I, you know, obviously uh, have been following college basketball for 50 years. Duquesne was the first NCAA tournament game I ever watched. Uh, they played, uh, they played. I think it was St. Joe's at West Virginia in an NCAA tournament game. It was the first tournament game I ever watched. Uh, I think it was in 70 or 71, somewhere around there. Um, so I, this has been something that, uh, you know, a program that I followed, a league that I followed since its inception, uh, and I just, at, at, a, at a certain point about 10, 15 years ago, I said, you know, Duquesne can't ever get there in the Atlantic 10. I just didn't think they could ever get there. Hmm. Uh, I, I know, I know the things that have happened there and, and I know the mistakes that were made, but I just thought, you know, given the, 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 uh, talent base there, the other teams in the city, uh, I just thought that they would be better off in the Metro Atlantic, that they would be more competitive there. And so I started saying that. And then when they hired Keith, I thought, okay, you know, maybe not. Maybe they can get it done here. And Keith's early results said, yeah, I was right. You know, they, certainly they hired the right coach. He's terrific. Um, and the, his early results said, yeah, maybe they can get there. And, you know, they're probably not going to win it every year, but maybe they can be competitive at the top of the league and take their shot at, you know, at getting the auto bid or whatever. Um, and then – it, and then it, you know, he he stays there a few more years, and it's just you can't get that boulder over the hill. I mean, you can't. It, 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 as good as he is, he's having a year like this. That says that that you know they would be more they would be more productive elsewhere. So would LaSalle. LaSalle has the LaSalle was the best program in the Metro Atlantic. Yep. Really, probably in the league's history uh, for that period in the in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. They were the best program that league ever had, and they could be that again. But nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks, hey, why not just be in this league, this mid-major league, and kick everybody's butt? I'll be honest with you. I don't think Loyola made a good move. I don't don't think they did either. I I think that being in the Valley and being the clear best program in the Valley was a perfect place for them. When Creighton cleared out, oh gosh, you don't get the two games against Creighton anymore. When Wichita cleared out, oh yeah, you know those were fun games. It was good to you know good to the, good to go there uh, and and play against all those teams. But you know they're gone now. That's more bids for us. Good. So what do they do? Well, the Atlantic Ten offers more money. Uh, it, uh, it's not just about that. Being it being the best team in a league has great value. You're always, you know, yesterday they played Northern Iowa, at Northern Iowa. That place was packed. Um, yep. If that game had been at Loyola, the place would have been packed. So you're still selling tickets, but everybody feels like they need to be in a bigger league. Uh, I Belmont and, and Murray State both abandoning the Ohio Valley. They had one of the best rivalries over the last decade in, in mid-major basketball, yep. and now they're both leaving. Why does everybody feel like they need to be in a bigger league? I, 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 I don't understand that. I don't think it's been good for the, for the leagues themselves. I don't think it's been good for the membership. But nobody ever says, oh, you want to you invite Loyola? No. <laughs> they, you know, it, it, will it make our league better? Yes. Do we want them? No. It, it, they are a wonderful program. They're exactly what fits our values, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't want them. It doesn't make it. It won't change the nature of our station as Dayton or as VCU or as Davidson. It doesn't change it. It you know it makes it a little harder to get to where we want to go, and it doesn't help us to get over that barrier that now exists between 
the Atlantic 10 and Mountain West and, and the American, those three leagues, and the other six. That barrier is there. It's hard to cross. And I don't think adding another program that's a lot like Dayton or a lot like VCU or a lot like Davidson it's, or Bonnie's, uh, they're a lot like that. That's not going to change your station. You're just more really good teams fighting for the same thing. You've definitely solidified your uh, standing on this program by that last sentiment, Mike, because I, um, as a person who does this podcast week in, week out, all we ever hear in Dayton land is about making the jump to the Big East. And I'm quick to counter with the idea that, yes, I know the advantages of being the Big East. I'd love to play Villanova and St. John's and uh, Marquette and Creighton. I'd love to play those teams every night, right? But I always counter with, why don't we just kick ass in the conference that we're in and dominate the league year in and year out? Because frankly, Dayton has never done that. We've never been a program that's been kicking ass in the league year in, year out. And your sentiment is spot on that I didn't necessarily agree with the Loyola ad because frankly, it feels a lot like the George Mason ad that we made about eight years ago. George Mason was on the heels of the final four. Larinaga had kept some of the success and then he left to go to Miami. And they were like, all right, well, let's get George Mason. They can probably be a tournament team. Well, look what happened. George Mason's been in the bottom or the middle of the league the entire time they've been in the A-10. They've helped nobody by being in the A-10, including themselves. They haven't helped themselves at all. And so I just didn't I, – I looked at the Loyola thing and I said, what if this was a flash in the pan final four run, which I think it is, and they go back to being the program that they were before, which was a program that really hadn't made a, a run in the tournament in 30 years. And I think that's a reality of what can happen now that the A-10 wants to expand. But we get that all the time, right? Like, let's go to the Big East. And again, monetarily, I get it. But the easiest path for Dayton to get to the NCAA tournament right now is the league we're in right now. And the fact that they can't get there with the league we're in right now kind of tells me that our program on the court isn't really ready to make that jump anyways. So you're... Your point is well taken on this program. It's well founded. Um, I just, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on the A10 landscape because I'm, I'm the same way. I think LaSalle, I think Fordham, I think Duquesne would be better suited in the Metro Atlantic. You take those three teams out, you get the A10 down from 15 to 12. If UMass goes and they chase football and they get into a different conference because of that, that gets us to 11 where we can go to a 20 game schedule and everybody gets a home and home. That's a way more attractive conference to me than the one we're sitting in right now. And I guess. You know, having this conversation because yesterday we took a, a bad loss to LaSalle that kind of ruined the at-large chances that we were building for weeks prior. Um, but, hey, that's that's why they play all the games. So um, I know I kept you a little bit long, Mike, but uh, it, it was great to have you on the program. Um, all the listeners here on my show know that final thoughts is how we wrap up uh, on talking out loud. So uh, while I am uh, supremely thankful that uh, you carved out some time on a Sunday morning to talk some hoops, that's what we love to do. Um, it's time for final thoughts. And I was wondering what kind of final thoughts you had for Dayton fans and all those uh, bracket nuts that are listening around the college basketball landscape. Yeah, I think the final thought relative to that uh, is, first of all, to continue the tremendous support that they have for the Flyers program. Uh, and, you know, I, I first went to a Dayton game in one of those, I believe it was 86, 87. I believe it was my first year on the Duquesne beat. Uh, it could have been the second. Well, you're still now. independent. Uh, I don't remember which of the two years that I went down there for that, uh, but I remember Nigel Knight uh, uh, wrecking the the uh, Dukes uh, <laughs> on my on my visit down there, and how impressive he was, and and what a wonderful place it, it was to watch a basketball game. Uh, they they were subsequently in the league with Memphis uh, when I covered the Tigers, and uh, came up there for a fantastic game. Uh, one Saturday afternoon that I, if I remember correctly, ended in a fight. <laughs> got several Tigers suspended. Uh, and it, and then, of course, I lived in Cincinnati for 18 years and made scores of trips up to UD Arena. And it's one of my favorite places to watch a game. I have said that uh, Dayton is uh, one of the best fan bases in college basketball. And, and the reason why I say that is because when I made those trips with Memphis, uh, when they were uh, when when they were in the great midwest uh they 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 won four and six games in consecutive years i mean four and i don't mean league games i mean games games in those years four games one year six games the next i believe it was and i went in there for one of those two years 
uh, for a trip and there's still 12,000 people in the building. Mm -hmm. You don't see that anywhere else. Like when you're winning four games, you're seeing four people. Look at Missouri right now. Go watch a game. Just turn it on real quick. You don't want to watch for too long. Uh, (laughs) Turn it on real quick for Missouri right now. There is almost no one in the building. Yeah. And they have a beautiful arena. Uh, they 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 have a you know a, a tremendous facilities. But the fact that the team has been unsuccessful this year has chased everyone away. That didn't happen at Dayton in in the early uh, in the early nineties uh, during the tough years. And so I have unbelievable respect for the Dayton fan base. Uh, I my my sister has a master's degree for there. My brother. Uh, brother-in-law does too. So I have a, a great affection for UD uh, and its, and its fan base. And so enjoy what you have left of this year. I, I you know, obviously no one was aggrieved more in, you know, and there were much greater tragedies that perpetrated by the pandemic, but in a sporting sense, I'm not sure anybody got a shorter deal than Dayton did with having the cancellation of the 2020 tournament. Um, it, it but Anthony showed this year, I believe, that that wasn't a fluke. And obviously, the season hasn't gone exactly the way you wanted. Uh, but after the really rough start, he got this team together. He got them winning games at a high level again. He got them beating good teams. Um, I think that he showed that, that he can still continue to keep this team at the top of the league. And that's certainly the hope is that we're going to stay at the top of the league. I mean, Dayton's still looking at a, a final four appearance, right? Uh, or final four, top four appearance rather um, in the league. And that was kind of what we were shooting for when we had those three losses going into conference play because the at-large situation seems so bleak and it kind of, you know, does, we're kind of back where we, we started, you know, lose LaSalle, just get in the top four, win three games in Brooklyn and, uh, and get back to it. Um, as I say that I have former players in my mentions getting angry because I don't want people making excuses for this program anymore. I want to get in the tournament. I want that to be the goal. And, uh, unfortunately yeah, we're going to have to win three games in uh, DC to do it. Um, Mike D thanks again for coming on, man. It was a pleasure to have you. We'll have to do this again. Uh, of course around bracket time but uh good luck making that bracket on tuesday i think it's going to be a little bit challenging (laughs) thanks very much uh enjoy the rest of the season and we're gonna try uh that's gonna do it for the show tonight you know there's two rules on this program wear red be loud and we'll catch you next time making a living the old hard way taking and giving my day by day
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.